In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks for Steelers. And they've got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting Can you feel it? I can feel it. Michelle, can you feel it? The wall felt it. <laughs> this is what happens. You pump up the jam, and this is what we get. The feel it. The fire. The emotion. The passion. All right. How are we doing? Wow, Wednesday it is, right? Who says Wednesday is hump day? Mellow day. People in the offices. Oh, man, it's Wednesday. No, it's, it's Wednesday. Can you feel it? Jam-packed show coming your way today. The hits keep on coming. We're hitting from the football side, the baseball side today. Trevor Maddich will join us. ESPN's college football guru, as I like to say. Derek Lee will join us from the baseball side today. So we got football, baseball, Chris Bosio as well. The pitcher, author of a no-no, Chris Bosio, of course, a pitching coach for the Cubs, World Series champs in 2016. He will join us. Derek Lee, a phenomenal player. And uh, D. Lee, another great friend. Love to have him on the show. Two-time All-Star, World Series champion, Silver Slugger Award winner, three-time Gold Glove Award winner. Oh, yes. And we have three members of the vaunted Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame join us here today. So a lot to hit on today. Sam Gordon as well will join us from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. And we'll talk a little Raiders and UNLV football with Sam. So a lot to cover today on the show. And yeah, we're, we're in a pretty good mood because we've come to the end of the regular season of Major League Baseball. Thank goodness. 162 games after today done in the books. And we look forward to the postseason, which begins on Friday. Different playoff format this year. We've talked about it quite a bit, and we'll talk about it more today with our two baseball guests, Derek Lee and Chris Bazio, as we get ready for the wild card series. That's right, best two out of three, but no travel involved in these series, where all three games will be at the home of the higher-seeded team. Now, Major League Baseball, as we know, have expanded the playoffs this year. I think it's a very good thing. You have six in each league, 12 teams total, top two teams getting buys in the National League. That means it's the Dodgers and the Braves. In the American League, it's the Astros and the Yankees. So the Wild Card Series will begin on Friday. Look forward to that. They'll be done on Sunday. And then Tuesday, the American League Divisional Series and National League Divisional Series will begin on Tuesday. So looking forward to a lot of baseball. And, of course, we'll have a lot of baseball talk for you um, during the course of the postseason. So looking forward to that. And uh, as, as long as the Astros keep winning, then numchuck, good for you. That 
I'll be missing some shows because I'll be down in Houston. No, no, here, here comes something. Thank God. <laughs> let's go, Astros. There you go. That's it. Now let's go, Astros. Let's go, Dusty. But good for my future ticket as well, too. 12 to 1 future ticket. Are you kidding me? Gotta love it. All right. So a lot to hit on today. Like I said, football, baseball, boom, shaka laka laka, boom. Let's start off with our good friend, ESPN. And of course, part of our best bet segment each and every Friday, hitting them hard, hitting them well. The one and only Trevor Maddis joins us now. Trev, what's going on? Hey, TC, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And, I, and I'm excited to learn a little bit more about the, what the Aces have been doing, just because I've been seeing headlines. I've been so focused on football. As I've scrolled through some football headlines and stuff, I saw a headline that said that not only did the Aces win the WNBA, they came back and won the celebration as well. So I want to look at all the footage of the celebration because it sounds like it was a heck of a party. Heck of a party, man. Heck of a party. Had the parade going down Las Vegas Boulevard. A lot of fun. Uh, great to be part of it. And, and now we look forward to see if the Aces can do the back-to-back scenario going back next year. Always tough, Trevor, as you know. It doesn't matter what sport. It is always tough to go back-to-back. But I'll say this with the Aces. They are really stockpiled, loaded. Mark Davis did a fantastic job uh, allowing Nikki Vargas and Natalie Williams to to sign players for the long term. So you've got the core of this Aces team. Basically, your top six scores are coming back for at least two more seasons after this. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that uh, you're, you're, you're paying attention to the WNBA, my friend, because I know that you were a lethal, a lethal weapon in the low post back in the day. Yeah, well, if you treated me like a football player, I could help you on your <laughs> basketball team. If you treated me like a basketball player, I couldn't help you very much. So, uh, so setting screens and uh, boxing out and stuff like that, I was pretty good. The, uh, but I, I'll tell you this, though, that, uh, that I know college basketball. Uh, I love watching women's college basketball because of their, their dedication to the craft of the game and to the schemes of the game. And it's just fun to watch. It's one of the reasons I also love, love maybe my favorite single sport to watch of all of them is, is USA women's soccer in international competition for a couple of reasons. One is that, that, that they're so skilled. I mean, I used to love you know, watching Megan Rapinoe feed that ball into Abby, Abby Wambach and then others as Abby retired. And just the precision of those passes coming in for those headers is just it's astonishing how she can do that with such – regularity but then more than that is the attitude because you know how soccer <laughs> a lot of international soccer teams maybe soccer teams in general but certainly in international competition uh men will go down one goal early and freak out they will clutch their pearls oh no we're down one nil there's only 88 minutes to go whatever will we do and they and the announcers talk about how they're in trouble now because they're down one goal and well wait a minute you're down one goal Go take the fight to the other team. Equalize it, you know. And the American women's soccer team, when they're down, they don't they don't freak out. They bear down. They fight. They take the fight right to the face of the of the opponent. And, and I love their style of play because of how how aggressive and confident they are. And so that that's one thing I think I, I see in in our, our women's soccer team that I've seen in so many women's basketball teams that, that do things the right way for the right reasons, and that's how they win, and I love it. 
As a BYU Cougar alum, are you allowed to say bear down? Uh, I, I know, I know, yeah. Arizona, University yeah. of Arizona. But <laughs> the thing is, I mean, I, I think the last couple times they played BYU beat the Arizona Wildcats in football, so I think we're, I think we're good. All right. Speaking of which, Trevor Maddich, you know what's happening Saturday right here in Las Vegas, and I, I, I thought you would ask for a hall pass from ESPN so you didn't have to do the marathon, or maybe you could do the ESPN Radio Marathon, your college football Saturday, which you do each and every week, from here in Las Vegas because you know what is happening, my friend. The Cougars and the Irish here, Allegiant Stadium. How, that, listen, I, I wish so badly that I could be there, but I absolutely cannot be there. There's just no way I can get there. So it is uh, – but, man, what, what I, that's, that's turned into quite a matchup. It's going to be an interesting game. What do you think? Let's break this one down a little bit. BYU and Notre Dame, you know, you've got two teams that can get up and down the field here. Uh, maybe both teams maybe considered a little bit disappointing so far this season. But uh, how do you see this game uh, unfolding? We have Notre Dame, a three-and-a-half-point choice here, Saturday at Allegiant Stadium. Yeah, and I think ESPN's FPI football power index has Notre Dame a, a 70% chance of winning, something like that. So, um, you know, when you get beyond just the line, you look at the, the analytics, and, and Notre Dame comes in with a big advantage. And if you look at the matchups in, in position groups, uh, I don't know that it's as big an advantage as FPI thinks. I think Notre Dame's biggest advantage is their offensive line and running game against BYU's d- defensive line. BYU's defensive line has not been as dynamic as I thought they might be this year, given all the guys that they had having to play last year because of injury. So they had a lot of um, experience coming back. But they haven't, they've been okay, but they haven't been great. And the Notre Dame offensive line started slowly with two offensive tackles that were starting for the first time, basically. So they were kind of young there. They had some injuries inside. Uh, but now they're starting to come into their own. And with one of the best running back stables in college football, this is a this is a powerful downhill rushing attack by Notre Dame, and that's the Irish's biggest advantage. But if you look at the other side of the ball, I think it's uh, I think BYU's offense has more in common with North Carolina's offense uh, than people realize. Drake May for North Carolina quarterback is a fantastic quarterback, five star recruit coming in, and especially in the second half when they roared back against. Notre Dame in a loss, um, they uh, May was able to do a whole lot of stuff. BYU with Jaron Hall at quarterback has been absolutely fantastic, and there have been times when BYU's running game has disappeared, even though it's one of the better offensive lines in, in college football and a pretty good stable of running backs. But there have been times when they, they've kind of taken a step back, and Jaron Hall has had to put the team on his shoulders with his top two receivers out and carry this team past those lulls. And he, he's, I think, going to be a real revelation to the nation, to people who haven't seen him yet, because Hall has an NFL arm, NFL accuracy, NFL moxie, NFL confidence. He can move around and run enough. He's just amazing. And now it looks like both of those receivers are coming back, and some of the young receivers uh, have gotten some experience. So this could very well turn out to be a matchup between the Notre Dame rushing attack and the BYU passing attack which side could be more dominant in their matchup you know trevor this these two teams have not faced each other in nine years and kind of, kind of strange when, when you think about it you know two institutions like this both independents but they have not uh, faced off since uh, 2013 would you like to see this become more of a rivalry 
Yeah, I think it would be fun for it to be more of a, a rivalry. Notre Dame has got plenty of rivalries, and so it's not like they're itching to add another one to it. But I think for BYU, it, it's so much fun with the with the church connection, and both of them share, uh, I think, a lot of values in common when it comes to that. Both of them are very good academic schools, um, and I think I think I would love to see it. The question would be, though, for BYU now moving into the Big 12, does it really make sense to have Notre Dame be one of their non-conference games? And just like with the University of Utah, uh, which was in BYU's conference forever, then they joined the Pac-12, and the rivalry game hasn't been played every year, mostly because it hasn't made sense for Utah to schedule such a difficult game non-conference when they've got to play nine Pac-12 games, right? And so... You know, I would love to see this happen. I think it would be tremendous for the fan bases. It's two true national brands. I think it would be appointment television. I, I hope it can happen, but we'll see based on the needs of the moment. We know that both teams that travel well, especially BYU when it comes to Vegas. Again, you know, formerly of the Mountain West Conference, uh, they're used to playing here. They played, you know, bowl games here. So we know that uh, those people are going to come over from Provo, and we know that BYU has a great representation here in the city of Las Vegas and Notre Dame, as we know, global as well. First time that Notre Dame has played here in Las Vegas. So. Looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be a great matchup. A BYU 4-1 right now. Notre Dame, as we know, had two rough losses early on in the season, but they bounced back rather nicely against North Carolina and Cal. So, I don't know, Trevor, we'll, we'll wait till Friday to see if this is a part of your best bets. Well, well, we'll we'll see. And I will say this, that with all those BYU fans rolling down I-15 from Utah Valley, the the casinos and the bars of Las Vegas had better stock up on Diet Sprite and post them. <laughs> and what will the uh, the Catholics be drinking? Uh, you know, if, if you uh, just told us what the BYU fans are going to be drinking, what, what, what will be the Irish people? A lot of scotch and whiskey? You know, I think they have more leeway as to what might be acceptable. Um, and so let's hope that it all works out like that. Let's hope that the tailgates uh, show up where the, the Irish fans are drinking uh, Irish stuff and the BYU fans are doing what we expect them to be doing, BYU fans. Uh, Do not be naughty, BYU fans. That is the former BYU Cougar, the national champion, Trevor Maddich, talking to us about some college football. Here we go, my friend. Texas A&M and Alabama. As we remember, all right, the upset last year, and now we have had this game circled on the calendar. October 8th, oh, Jimbo Fisher wants to open his mouth. Nick Saban's opening his mouth. I mean, remember all the drama that we had in the offseason? Now we're four weeks into the college football season, Trevor, and all of a sudden, shh, all is quiet on the Tuscaloosa front. No one's really talking. Why? Because Texas A&M has already had two losses this season. Not looking too good. They lost to Appalachian State. They lost last week to Mississippi State, 42-24. to They sandwiched a couple victories in the middle there. A narrow win against Miami, who's down this year, 17-9. And they beat Arkansas, 23-21. We saw how that game unfolded, where they nearly lost that game. But we have a 24-point spread in this one. I know that Alabama fans had this thing circle in the calendar, revenge and everything. But now it just doesn't seem like this game is much of a matchup. Or is it, my friend? You know, I'm first team to five wins, maybe. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just don't see the Texas A&M offense being able to score unless they get short fields. Uh, I, I think this offensive A&M is just going to get stoned cold. 
the Alabama defensive line is outstanding, but behind them, the the linebackers with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Henry Toto uh, is, you know, one of the, if not the best group of linebackers in all of college football. And they will swarm an offensive line that has struggled. They will swarm a running game that has struggled. And they will get after the passer. I'm assuming it's going to be Max Johnson again. We'll see um, with that. But the playmaker remaining for Texas A&M is running back Devon Chain, And he is fantastic. But they have lost their best receiver, Anaya Smith. He, he's out. I, think, I believe he's out for the season. Um, and if he's not able, if he's not able to, I have to double check that. But you'll you'll want to check that before you actually invest in this game, just because they just don't have Texas A&M the the players to be able to overcome the individual excellence of those Alabama players up front. The secondary of Alabama is the place where they might be a little bit vulnerable, and certainly they have been this season. But I don't think that A&M has the passing attack to be able to challenge it. So I just don't know how a and is going to move the ball with any consistency to score on long drives. On the other side, the big story for Alabama is quarterback because their Heisman Trophy winner last year, Bryce Young, injured his shoulder last week. And Nick Saban says it's a sprain of his AC joint and then he's day-to-day. But that day-to-day is an interesting concept because Greg McElroy said an interesting thing, ESPN college football analyst and former Alabama quarterback, he said that he's got a nine-figure right arm. And if this, uh, if, if he comes back too early and creates a, a lingering, ongoing problem in that arm, it jeopardizes his future. And he knows that, and, and Nick Saban knows that. And in this game, uh, it doesn't make sense to, to press him back into a starting role. Um, now, that if he feels great, then sure, put him back in there. But if he doesn't feel great, they're better off keeping him on the sideline and putting him in later if they absolutely need him and they absolutely have to have it. And part of the problem we saw in a pass that Bryce Young threw after he sprained his shoulder, there was a receiver on a short crossing route from right to left. And the receiver, when the ball came, was crushed by a defender coming the opposite direction, just a classic head-on collision there. And, and the receiver stayed on the ground. Well, Young dropped back, and he was a little bit tentative in throwing the ball. He was a little bit late, and the ball didn't have a whole lot of zip on it. Both of those things are not characteristic of him. Normally, he would never lead a receiver into that kind of collision, but he did that time because his arm wasn't capable. And so the question is, how much better is that arm? Now, if he doesn't play Jalen Milrow, the freshman who, who took over last week against Arkansas for him will be the guy. And they scored a lot of points against Arkansas. They beat Arkansas. Milrow had a 70-plus yard run. Then they had a couple of 70-plus yard touchdowns late in that game. And so it looked like they were just fine with him. But if you dig into the passing of Milrow, he is not ready to run this passing game, not even remotely close. He would be a, an enormous liability, especially against this, against this A&M defense, if he has to go in there and execute too much of the playbook. And I think that the reason for the big touchdown runs, the 70-plus yard touchdown runs that, that Jameer Gibbs, Alabama running back, had late in that game against Arkansas, weren't so much because of what Alabama did, although the blocking was very good. It was what Arkansas did. Arkansas knew that Milrow wasn't going to beat him over the top. So they brought all 11 guys, all the safeties up near the line. That's great if everybody's in the right gap. But guys weren't in the right gap. Guys got blocked out of their gap. And once the running back for Alabama got free past the second level, 
there was nobody left because the safeties were all up at the line. I expect Texas A&M to do the same thing, but to learn the lesson of make sure that you cover your gap so that there are no jailbreaks into open space. And if that happens, then Milrow has to make up the slack and back him off with his arm. Can he do that? And I don't think that he can. And so I see this as a pretty low-scoring game. It's funny because before the season you know, kicked off, we wouldn't anticipate Alabama being a 24-point favorite in this game for all the things that we said earlier. I mean, the revenge factor, these two programs were you know, anticipated to be you know, top 10 programs, and we knew Alabama was at the top, but A&M was supposed to be you know, up there as well too. Now, you know, again, with Milrow probably getting the start here, I can see maybe this line maybe moving down a little bit. I mean, it's hard to bet against Alabama, but basically, you know, getting more than three touchdowns with A and M, and you hit a key point, Trevor. When you talk about the A and M defense, probably could could give Milrow some some trouble here, and maybe keep this game close. So, you know, keep we'll keep an eye on that to see if Bryce Young is going to start in this game if he's going to play. Right, and then when you consider that A and M. Uh, beat Miami basically on special teams, right? And Alabama special teams have, have had a they've been a bit uncharacteristically sloppy in recent weeks, including a surprise onside kick uh, against Arkansas, where Arkansas scored and there was no reason for the onside kick. There was lots of time left, but they made the onside kick and they they collected it because of a fundamental flaw in the way that the Alabama kickoff return team was lined up. They were lined up as deep as they possibly could, the front line that was closest to the kicker. The Bama guys were lined up as far back as they possibly could be. And then as soon as the, the foot met the football, they, they backed up even more. That's what they've been doing. And so Arkansas said, good, if you're going to give us that space, we're going to run our guys down there and block you before you can come up and recover the kick. And that's what happened. So, you know, it, it, special teams might play a role in this thing too. But, you know, I, I just – Milrow's getting a lot of love, and and he held it together. He really did a lot of good things against Arkansas, but, man, I don't know about that. Plus, you know, the the thing that I miss on this one, though, um, TC, is what you mentioned earlier, is the drama. The drama that was set up to make this the appointment-viewing game of the first half of the season with the preseason spat between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Nick Saban saying that, that Texas A&M was buying recruits through NIL and collectives and Jimbo Fisher coming back and, and personally calling out Nick Saban and personally attacking Nick Saban. And that to me set up and all of a sudden now it just fizzled out, man. I'm disappointed. I wanted to see that fire. All right. Me too. All right. Uh, three more games I want to ask you about. Hit them real quick for me, Trevor. We've got a battle of unbeatens, and we didn't expect this either. Number 17, TCU, my namesake. Number 19, Kansas. Kansas 5-0. and Rock Chalk Jayhawk. TCU at 4-0. and TCU a seven-point favorite. So KU still not getting much respect here. What happens in this game? This is going to be one of the fun games of the season. TCU is the better team. They've got tremendous speed, tremendous skill. They're just, they're really a, an underrated, underappreciated team. Kansas, though, is the most fun team in all of college football. And they've got skill, too. And they've got a, a better offensive line than people give them credit for. But their quarterback, Jalen Daniels, is running a, a, an option style offense that is relatively unique in college football using triple option principles out of the shotgun, out of the pistol, and doing all kinds of eye candy that messes up uh, defensive uh, discipline. And it, they are so much fun to watch. I'm about to go in and do a, 
a uh, breakdown tape we did for Sports Center about that. So this will be a fun game to watch. Do not miss this one. Mm-hmm. Looking forward uh, to that. All right, then we have the Red River Shootout, whatever we're calling it now, uh, with Texas and Oklahoma. But both teams a little bit down this year. Maybe it doesn't have that big hype that we're accustomed to seeing at the Texas State Fair. What are your thoughts here about Texas? They're favored by seven, and OU has been downright dreadful the past couple weeks. No, yeah, they have been incredibly dreadful. It'll be interesting to see if Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers comes back from the injury sustained early in the Alabama game in the opener. If he does, that's that's a reason to watch this game alone because he was lighting up the Alabama secondary and then he got hurt. And so, you know, if he could light up Alabama, he will more than light up Oklahoma because, I mean, TCU, that was one of the national showcases of their speed. When they just lit up Oklahoma, they – uh, they would get guys out of the open field, and the secondary of Oklahoma, defensive backs, would have a 60-yard run to try to catch the TCU quarterback or a TCU receiver or a TCU running back, and they couldn't catch up in all that time because the secondary of Oklahoma seems to be incredibly um, challenged when it comes to speed. I think that's the nice way to put it. You know, they, you know, Oklahoma now has issues at quarterback. I mean, this game went from appointment viewing to, uh, and so, but Oklahoma, you know, these two teams are going off to the SEC. Texas has an excuse to have two losses. They, their quarterback went out, and one of those losses is Alabama, for goodness sake. Oklahoma, though, right now, with two losses, both of them in conference, is on the verge of an incredibly disappointing season. How much of this is correlated to Lincoln Riley being gone and obviously other players as well, too? But And then now Dylan Gabriel, who we saw come over from Central Florida, which was pretty darn good over there, but hasn't been good for Oklahoma. No, he hasn't. I, I remember looking at the Oklahoma-Nebraska game, and, and everybody raved about how Gabriel was making all these big plays. And I looked at that his performance, and I'm thinking, you know what? his big plays aren't what to watch for. It's the plays he left on the table, the ones he missed. Open receivers that could have been a long play or a long touchdown. He just overthrew or underthrew. He just missed them. And you can miss them against Nebraska. You couldn't miss them against TCU. And then he got hurt against TCU on a very cheap shot. Got hit in the head. Not his fault. But, you know, if you look at Oklahoma, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're thinking, okay, last year they had two five-star recruits as quarterback. They had Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams. Well, Rattler now is starting for South Carolina. Uh, Williams is now starting for USC, so they're both starting for USC on opposite coaches, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> and they they brought in, you know, guys that just haven't been able to replace that kind of talent. And so, uh, yeah, the quarterback position right now, I'm not sure what the the physical status of Dylan Gabriel is for this game. Uh, I just haven't checked it out in the last few days. I don't know what's up. Mm-hmm. But either way, the quarterback position uh, will be an advantage for Texas if Hudson Card plays and if Quinn Ewers comes back, it'll be an enormous advantage for Texas. Utah, UCLA, this one in the Rose Bowl. UCLA uh, blasted Washington last week. And then we know what Utah brings to the table. Quick take, can the Bruins pull the upset? Yeah, they can pull the upset. When when most outsiders think of UCLA, they think of beaches, trust funds, and Manny Petty's. <laughs> I mean, but this is a different kind of Bruin, man. I mean, these guys are actually really tough. They're big, they're physical, they will slam you to the ground and like it. And so they, they match up pretty well, especially on offense, uh, UCLA's offense with Utah's defense, because of their physicality and their skill and with all the conversation on quarterbacks at Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia, you know, and 
you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, quarterback for uh, UCLA, has been lighting up the stat sheet, and he has been a, a calm presence for UCLA. I mean, he, he is fantastic, and it's unfortunate that he hasn't gotten more attention this year. So, yeah, UCLA can stay with it. I think that Utah still has the advantage, but this won't be a typical Utah-UCLA game where Utah just wipes the field with them physically. All right. Final thing, Trevor, before I let you go, I do want to hit on one NFL thing, and that's the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky out now. We saw Mike Tomlin go to Kenny Pickett. You know, the the hometown boy coming out of the University of Pitt, you have seen Kenny Pickett play quite a few times. What is your take on Pickett, uh, you know, as a quarterback in the NFL, and will he make a difference with his Steeler team? Well, first he comes into the NFL uh, more prepared than most college quarterbacks do because he ran a pro-style system in college. And so while it's vastly more complicated in the NFL – in college, he still learned how to read defenses and apply multiple progressions to those defenses, and those progressions would change after the snap when the defense went from their disguise to what they're really running. And so he was, you know, Matt Corral, who was the quarterback last year at um, Ole Miss, who was drafted by Carolina, actually said out loud that if he'd have realized how little prepared he would be by the Ole Miss offensive scheme for the NFL, that he would have gone to a different school. Well, maybe that's true, but he shouldn't be saying that out loud. But the thing is, at a place like Ole Miss and most colleges, you look at one defender. And if he goes there, you go here. If he goes here, you go there. It's simple as that. Pickett had to have a much more diverse mental approach to the game. So, so he'll be able to apply more of the textbook than a lot of, or playbook than a lot of rookie quarterbacks can do. But ultimately, uh, the reason Tomlin made this switch is because the offense was flat. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. That's not the quarterback's fault. You know, the receivers weren't stepping up. Pickens is good, but some others just weren't getting the job done. That's not Tom, uh, Trubisky's fault. But they were, they were just flat. They were blasé. And Tomlin figured that at halftime last week that if, they came out with uh, the change in quarterback. Maybe that will give them a spark, and it did. The players responded to Pickett. Pickett has a swagger to him, a confidence to him that people respond to. And, and Tomlin saw, the head coach of Pittsburgh, saw his players on offense perk up and respond and be more efficient and more effective and flow better with everything that they were doing from huddle to the, next, to the play to the next play, et cetera. And even the defense, defensive players were talking about how the sideline was different when Kenny Pickett was the starter. So this is interesting. He'll still take his lumps. He threw three interceptions in the second half of that game uh, last week against the Jets. But it'll be, you know, I I think he's got a a good chance to make a real splash for them. All right. Work in progress for the Pittsburgh Steelers. My friend, always a great time with you. Appreciate it as always. We'll look forward to your best bets on Friday with us while we're at the Westgate. And uh, take care, my friend, and uh, and enjoy uh, the BYU Notre Dame game from afar. As you will be working uh, tirelessly doing the ESPN radio uh, from uh, from channel to channel, C to C, pillar to post, whatever you want to say. Great, I appreciate it. Thanks, TC. Take care, buddy. Appreciate you. There he is, Trevor Maddich, my guy. Great to have him with us each and every week. Two times a week, actually. When we come back, we talk a little Major League Baseball, final day of the regular season, playoffs start on Friday, and we're going to go Chris Bazio, Derek Lee, coming up. Don't you dare go anywhere. Now, back to more of Las Vegas' favorite sports madman, the Dr. T.C. Martin.
All right, looking forward to another football Friday coming your way at the Westgate Las Vegas, the world-famous Superbook. Nothing like it over there. All the video screens, the 4K wall, non-smoking, the luxurious world-famous Superbook at the Westgate. Come on by, enjoy the show, 2 to 4 p.m., of course, each and every Friday, Marco D'Angelo will be in the house with us, several other guests, as you know. And, of course, we'll have our Best Bet segment, as always, there as we give you the three best college plays, three best NFL plays for the week. And, uh, again, seems like every year that we our, our handicappers just have great seasons with that and off to, to great start so far this year as well, too. So, yeah, make sure that you uh, tune in and remember all of those picks up on the best bets uh, are on the website at tcmartinshow.com. So don't forget about that. All up there for you if you miss it live. But come on by, see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. at the Westgate Las Vegas. All right, going to be talking some baseball here uh, today. As we know, the regular season comes to an end and mercifully comes to an end, I guess you might want to say. And love baseball, 162 games, can get a little tedious at times, but the playoffs are now here. And even though when you look at the calendar, you think, hey, man, we should you know, be into the divisional series by now. But, of course, the season started late because of the you know, players balked, the collective bargaining agreement. But, hey, got 162 games in. Things are back to normal, and we'll have some meaningful baseball coming. And the the way everything is lined up now is pretty, 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 pretty good. And I like it because you have now wild card series two out of three. Got They got rid of the one-and-done game situation, which is great. So... Everything is based in baseball off series. Okay, You play three, four-game series all the time. So the one game to determine if you're going to continue on in the postseason, it's a hard pill to swallow. Now, yes, it extends the postseason a little bit, but I really don't think fans, players, and definitely owners, as we know, because that's more revenue for them, they don't mind extending the season for the postseason. So what you're going to have starting on Friday, you're going to have the wild card series. And you will have four of those series going, two in the American League and two in the National League. So you've got the buys in the American League with the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. And that leaves us two series for the wild card series. You've got the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians. And the Seattle Mariners and the Toronto Blue Jays. So this will all get underway Friday morning. First pitch 9.07 for Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Best two out of three. But here's the caveat. No travel involved with this. All three games will be at the higher-seeded home. Now, in these two series, that means that Cleveland will host all three games. Home field advantage really means something when you have all the games in one city there. So Tampa Bay at Cleveland, Friday morning. Then you have Seattle taking on Toronto. 
you can make a case really for, for all four teams. But as of right now, you look at the Seattle Mariners, they have been a mess of themselves. Total mess. Uh, a team that can't get out of its own way. They have a major injury problem with Julio Rodriguez, who is going to be the rookie of the year, but he has a back issue, and the Mariners are being pretty coy about this, about you know what, what is his availability going to be. He basically has not played at all in the last two and a half weeks. So we'll have to keep an eye on that and see what that means for the, uh, the Seattle Mariners. And they're playing a red-hot Toronto Blue Jay team as well, with George Springer at the top of that lineup. And we saw what Bichette has done uh, this year. Vlad Guerrero Jr. as well, too. So Toronto's got bats. And the flip side, Tampa has kind of gone missing. MIA as well, too. They've got pitching. Don't have much offense. And the Cleveland Guardians is a team that basically hasn't played a meaningful baseball game in about a week and a half because they cleaned up the weak American League Central. So... Yep, those are your matchups. And then, of course, you have the Yankees and the Astros uh, waiting in the wings. And then also on Friday, you've got the Phillies and the Cardinals and the Padres and the Mets, while the Dodgers and the Braves will have bye. So we'll be previewing all of that. All right, let's welcome in our very good friend, our pitcher, the big guy, the pitching coach, the author of a no-no, and I believe that we may be catching him in the middle of either some batting practice or a pitching lesson right now. The one and only Chris Basio. What's going on, my man? Well, I've got two young stud pitchers here I'm working <laughs> with right now. You are correct. Uh, I'll say, okay, can can we can you can you give us a little bit? You know, I, I want to see. I've heard you talk to Jake Arietta back in the day. And uh, in, in those Cubs pitchers, can we? Can you give us a little soundbite what you're telling these youngsters right now? Besides where, where to go eat pizza? Very good, very good. Right now we're doing a, it's called a six box drill where the pitchers are using command to move their fastball up in the zone, strike in the zone, and below the zone. And so we're we're playing like a pig game. Yeah, where one pitcher they follow the leader, and if you hit your number, the next guy's got to hit the number, and if he misses, then he gets a letter. Okay, what number are we going to right here? Six. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this is live, so just relax, TC. Riveting radio here. Live from Appleton, Wisconsin, the Brewers affiliate. We nailed it. Number six. Now, the, now, what number do we have to go to to answer? Six. Let's do it. I sound high in the way. Yeah, six. He did a great job right there. <laughs> There you give that give that kid a snow cone. Outstanding. Wait a minute. Do we have snow cones in here, you guys? <laughs> Lucas, does your dad have snow cones in the back? Okay. That's right. You we gotta... train here. He says we train here. That comes from a nine year old. Wow. We don't we don't mess around here, TC. We train here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Exactly. That is that is too funny. There it is. Oh, man. Well, you know, Boz, I mean, you, that fits right in because you had to deal with some nine-year-old mentalities, uh, you know, in your pitching coach days, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, you had to feel those guys you had to deal with. So, I'll tell you what. I would take these guys <laughs> all day and twice on Sunday. These I, guys are never, So here's a, They never smile. They're ne- it's never good enough. They're never happy. They're never winning enough tournaments. Mm-hmm. Losing is unacceptable. You know, all those things that I had at Cordova – 
that you were trying to learn at Folsom. <laughs> there we go. Of course, that had to come into play. You're very nice. Very nice. So let me ask you, what what got spelled out? Were you using pig? Were you using letters? Were you using you know, Basio? What were you using there? Or was, or was it just one, two, three, four, get five, six? Grip. Get your grip. One, two, three is on the left side of the plate. Four, five, six is on the right. No, I got that. Yeah. yeah. Square I, number three is is catcher's right knee, so we throw cliches at him. It's open you, any number you want. Wow, that's 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 nice. But did, did, were you spelling out pig? That's my question. Or something else? Nails. Every time TC talks, you throw strikes. TC, keep talking. There it is. There you go, kid. Fire it up right there. Rear back and let it, let it rip. There you go. There you go. Lower, lower outside of that uh, that plate. There you go. Paint the black, kid. I feel like that's the first time someone's ever said, TC, keep talking. Yeah, good one. <laughs> Where's the drum? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Boz, are you indoors or out? You're indoors right now, aren't you? Yeah, and we're indoors. All right, everybody to number six. Right. Down and away. <laughs> everybody six. All right, man. So let me ask you something here as we approach right. the, the the postseason. Astros, Yankees, you heard me talk about it. Dodgers, Braves, they're going to have five and six days off, especially the, the Astros. They're going to have six days off. We saw Justin Verlander go five no-hit innings, and Dusty took him out. That's the third time that Verlander has thrown basically no-hit ball, uh, you know, this this season, coming off the rehab and everything. Been fantastic. Cy Young Award winner. Got his 18th win last night, 18-4. He's been fantastic. Talk a little bit about, you know, what we're going to expect here for the postseason. Because as we know, Boz, this so, is not the norm for teams to have five and six days off, especially at this time of year. Is this an advantage for the Astros and the Yankees or disadvantage? Disadvantage, 100% because of the hot team. I've, I've been that team. I was with the Mariners when we won 116 games, and the worst thing ever was sitting and waiting, and then we got swept by the Yankees. You always want to play the hot hand and keep playing. All right. Okay. So, so, so advantage to those guys for having the rest, or are they going to be a little bit rusty? What, what are you saying? Well, they want to keep them on rotation, but remember, he's still coming off Tommy John, and everybody's like, well, yeah, you're 17, blah, blah, blah. you still got to protect him. Mm-hmm. You still got to protect the arm, and Houston's in a position where they can do that with the rotation right now. Mm-hmm. All right, so, right. so we look at the Yankees. We know that th- their problems have been in the pitching side, and the bullpen issues are are very noticeable. We talk about that a lot, but talk a little bit about Garrett Cole because this is a guy that they're paying a ton of money to. And it has really kind of had a, an uneven year. And then the rest of that Yankee rotation, Severino's back. Okay, I guess, I guess he's healthy. Uh, then you've got Herman. What, what are your thoughts about the Yankees' starting rotation, Boz? I, they're going to be formidable. I mean, they're going to be right there with Houston. Guys, move it back on the big mound right here, and then we'll go all the way back after. <laughs> There's, you know, Yankees, Houston, they're, they're going to be right there just like they've been every year battling probably to the last out of the last game. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we expect out of those two teams. You talk a little bit about the Mariners, and we know that you got history there, but the Mariners are back in the postseason. It's been a long time since they have been. They kind of backed their way in here, you know, without uh, Rodriguez being completely healthy. And, you know, this is a team was expected to actually compete with the Astros this year. 
Uh, talk a little bit about their rotation and, and what is the strength of this Mariners team? Well, I think getting Castillo put them over the hump. Um, they could sneak in there and they could steal a series with their, their pitching. Mm-hmm. You know, don't and, – and watch Chris, Chris Flexen might end up being big in this series for the Mariners. Excellent job. There you go. That's okay. Good job. A Chris hey, Flexen he, sighting. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Hey, man, I'm sorry, but I got to – No, you got to go, man. You, you got to concentrate with your kids, man. You do that, man. I appreciate it as well, too. And get some snow – get a snow cone machine in that joint, okay? <laughs> Very good. Take, take care. Hey, you got any words of wisdom for my two young studs right here, TC? Yeah, I do. Uh, young studs, listen up here. Uh, you got a Hall of Famer that that uh, is your coach there, as you well know. Uh, listen to his guidance. He's a pro. You know that. But occasionally give him a bad time and let him know that he lost to a guy who is making a living doing sports talk radio that he lost to him twice back in the day when he was in high school. So just, you know, throw that at him every once in a while, okay? And uh, throw, throw the – the TC screwball. Do that. TC. <laughs> what was that? I never. I already told them I've never lost in my career, so they're not believing I've lost. Oh, there you go. All right, man. There you go, boss. Enjoy, brother. See you later. All right. You guys take care. We, we'll catch you later. We'll catch you next week. Chris Bosio. That's it. You don't get that anywhere else. Get a pitching lesson going on right now from the World Series champion, the pitching coach, Chris Bosio, 2016, the Chicago Cubs. Working with those youngsters. And I know these youngsters he's working with, these guys play year-round. These are nine-year-old studs. They're probably already popping the mitt probably about 82 or 83 right now. Did you hear the pop in that glove? I heard him. Yeah. I was just wondering if he was wearing his World Series ring and blinding the kids at all. <laughs> now, now you bring it up. See? I was going to, but then he started right right into a thought. And I was like, nope, yeah, not go. going to. Boz reminds me a lot of... Uh, the way I coach as well, too, is because did you hear the way he was complimenting those kids? Yep. You know, and that positive reinforcement is is so good. And not just at 9- and 10-year-old level, when you're talking about even the high school level or at any level this point in time. The positive reinforcement, uh, very good. So, yeah, so we've talked about it before with Basio. This is what he's doing now. He's He's doing private lessons. You know, removed from Major League Baseball, and uh, he's working with kids all the way from as, as young as nine, ten years old, all the way to to college kids right now, and prepping these uh, kids for their their futures. So, yeah, nice nice little business that Boz has got going there. When we appreciate him always joining us, but uh, yeah, I knew it was going to be a little tricky today because, like you said, he was in the middle of a lesson. But he goes, "No, I'll, I'll come on." So there you go, a little live radio with uh, pitching lessons. From Chris Bosio. All right, back to uh, what we were talking about with the Major League Baseball. So we saw a couple things yesterday, and we talked about it on the show. When the Phillies were playing the Astros yesterday, now they closed out the regular season You know, today, and the Astros uh, are up in this game. The Phillies put together a lineup last night that was downright embarrassing. And we actually unveiled that lineup on the air yesterday, and we had Mark Borchard on with us, the base winner, where he had said earlier in the day that this is the easiest game in the world to handicap, bet it. And I ended up doing that yesterday, but 
in the beginning of the day, like I've been the last couple of days, I said, staying away from betting on any baseball because you've had so many favorites that have lost and burned money. The Dodgers, 380 favorite one day, 320 favorite against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, you've had the Braves lose. You had Houston lose a couple days ago. And then, so two games remaining in the season as of last night. Philadelphia Phillies have a chance to get the number five seed. Well, if they get the five seed, that means that they would end up playing the Mets. Division rival, who they played 19 times during the season, the Mets won a majority of those games. If the Philadelphia Phillies lose to the Astros, they fall down to the number six seed, which is a worse seed. However, they would get a chance to play the St. Louis Cardinals, who they don't see as often, and they had a winning record against during the regular season. So you could just see, and I hate the word tank, because players don't tank. You know who tanks? Upper management. General managers. Or the manager saying, okay, we're going to rest these players or whatever. That's what happened yesterday. So Philly put their A line about there. Okay, with Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos, um, you know, with uh, JT Real Amuto, Gene Segura, their regular lineup, Bryson Stott. Yesterday, Bryce Harper was leading off, and then no Real Amuto, no Segura, uh, no Castellanos, uh, no Reese Hoskins, all those guys out. Justin Verlander was going yesterday for the Astros, and Dusty put their A lineup out there together. 10 nothing final score. The lineup that the Philadelphia Phillies put out there was downright embarrassing, and it was a joke. And you could see they had no interest in winning the baseball game yesterday, even though it would have given them a higher seed. So you have that going on in the National League. In the American League yesterday, you had the Seattle Mariners. They're playing the Detroit Tigers, the lowly Tigers, and they have a doubleheader. And as we know, the Mariners have not been playing good baseball at all. Same situation. Okay? Mariners having a chance to get the number five seed. You know what the Seattle Mariners did at the end of that game yesterday? They were trailing six to five, going to the ninth inning. They made a pitching change. Do you know who came in and pitched for the Seattle Mariners yesterday? They brought in a, a, a position player. Not only that, they brought in a backup catcher. Oh, a backup catcher. Perfect. A backup catcher. Luis Torrens came in. The Mariners ended up going to extra innings. They scored two in the bottom of the 10th, and the Mariners win the game. They get the number five seed. Winning pitcher, Luis Torrens. The backup catcher pitches an inning. Backup catcher and gets the win. The moral of the story is they were not trying to win this game. They could care less about winning that game yesterday. What does this say about Major League Baseball? All right? Maybe the expanded postseason, you know, with six teams each, maybe it's not a good thing. I'm not going to say that. But it does beg the question, when teams are not trying to win their final two games when playoff positioning is involved. It just seems weird. It seems strange. If that would happen in the NFL or the NBA, you would have people going ballistic. But nobody's talking about it here today. Except me.
All right. A little baseball coming your way. Can hardly wait for the playoffs to start on Friday. We're going to talk with uh, one of the greats, two-time All-Star World Series champion himself, Derek Lee, joins us next hour. Sam the Man Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal will join us as well, too. We'll talk all things football with Sam Gordon. That and a whole lot more coming your way on this Wild Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, BT Express, baby! Here comes the Express. Ah, shock. The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Bryant sends one a deep left way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet. It could be. Cobweb. 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 Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball yet. He has not won. And here comes the cubs out on the field. is now in hour number two glad to have you with us on this wednesday a little more baseball talk this hour appreciate trevor maddich and chris bazio join us talk a little college football last hour and of course a little baseball with boz yep more of that this hour don't forget everything up on the website at tcmartinshow.com and friday don't forget at the westgate las vegas the world-famous Superbook. Come on out, see the show live, 2 to 4 p.m. And also, yes, our best bet segment. Keep hitting them on the college football and the NFL side as well. All right, Major League Baseball regular season coming to an end today. 162 in the books, and now we've got some meaningful playoff baseball starting on Friday. Our next guest, one of my favorites, no question, and uh, probably one of the favorites of all-time Chicago Cubs fans as well, too. And I'm sitting across from one right now. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, Mr. Numchuck, of course, the Chicago native. Uh, two-time All-Star, World Series champion, Silver Slugger Award winner, three-time Gold Glove. The list goes on and on and on. Oh, yeah, I got to say, nationally batting champion. And, of course, another proud member of our Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. My man Derek Lee joins us now. D. Lee, what's going on, my man? What's happening, guys? If you hear a lot of background noise, I'm walking on the beach on the Oregon coast. <laughs> Oregon coast? Okay. So, you know, usually I'm used to you with a little Malibu or something like that, man, or, you know, uh, Lake Michigan back in the day. Oregon coast. How is that? Oh, yeah. Just got up here. We're going to go do a little fishing tomorrow, catch a few salmon, and then uh, come down to Sacramento and see you. 
Excellent, man. Excellent. All right, we're going to talk uh, about that in a minute. Uh, as, uh, Derek Lee is, in, is involved in a, in a game and a great weekend regarding the uh, uh, Negro League fundraiser for the Negro League Museum. We're going to talk about that here pretty soon. But, but Dee, I wanted to talk with you about some playoff baseball here. A guy that uh, lived it yourself, as you know, World Series champion with the Florida Marlins back in the day. And, of course, you know, your, your time with the Cubs and other teams as well, too. Describe what it's like at this time, like right now. You just complete 162 games. And let's take it from the perspective of you're getting ready to go to the, go to the postseason. What is that time like compared to getting ready for playoff baseball compared to getting ready for, you know, a, a game during any time during the regular season? Uh, you know, you try to tell yourself it's the same game and, you know, don't change anything, but it's totally different, CC. This is this is the time of year every athlete, baseball player loves. You know, this is why you train in the offseason to get through the grind of the 162 and give yourself a shot in October, you know. And that's, that's the beauty of baseball, that every team that makes it into October has a shot. You know, not, it's not always the best team that wins. It's the team that gets the hottest. The pitching gets going. And, uh, you know, so, so everyone who gets in has a shot. You know, we've talked about you know, your journey with the Marlins. When you guys, you know, were playing in that football stadium and playing in front of thousands upon thousands of empty seats, and then you guys, you know, get hot, you end up, you know, you know, winning that the the crazy game of the crazy series against the Cubs, and then and you go on and you win it all there. Uh, talk a little bit about that season and what that was like for you. And, and like you said, you always feel like you have a shot. But at what point in time did you say, "Hey, man, we really got a shot during that year"? Man, I, you know, I, it's hard to say. You could anyone could say we had a shot going into that season, and especially about two months into that season, we were. I think at one point we were eight or ten games below five hundred. Even we fired our manager. But you know, after you know, looking back, we were a young team. But if you look at the, the name of the guys on that team. We had a lot of guys that turned the start, especially on our staff. And they just clicked in once it turned October. Josh Beckett and Brad Penny, Pavano, Johnson Willis, all those guys. I mean, we they just turned it on in the postseason, and that's what carried us through. No doubt. No doubt. And then, of course, as we've talked about before, you end up uh, you know, with the Cubs, beloved uh, playing uh, for the Cubs, and again, getting a chance to play for our guy, Dusty Baker. And, you know, uh, Cub fans still, you know, remember that time, even though they won a World Series in 2016, and, and you guys didn't. But still, uh, talk about your times uh, there in Chicago, and especially playing for Dusty, who's still doing it right now with the Astros, as we know. He sure is doing it, isn't he? Yeah. Love him. Um, yeah. You know, personally, going to Chicago was the best thing for my career, getting a chance to play under Dusty, who I had known my whole life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was a great fit for me, um, being around players like uh, Sammy Sosa and Aramis Ramirez and Nomar Garcia-Parra came in. It just was a really, really good fit for me. My confidence grew as a player. I learned a lot, and fulfilling some of my potential. Derek Lee uh, joins us, uh, and we talk a little Major League Baseball here, playoff time here. So how closely have you been watching this, uh, D? And, and give us uh, give us some thoughts here. Who do you like in the postseason? 
Man, you know the only thing I've been watching TC is Pujols and Judge. Yeah, I was, well, I'm going to ask you about that. Exactly. How cool is that, too? I mean, especially for Albert Pujols, a guy that, you know, basically was kind of dismissed in – and the and the Dodgers really dismissed him, and they go and he goes back to St. Louis, and he's not playing every day. Heck, he's playing like once every four days, and then all of a sudden, you know, he gets hot, starts hitting homers. We know it's his farewell, you know, song along with Yachty or Molina. Then you got you know Adam Wainwright who's still there and everything, and then the magic just happens here, man. The last few weeks of the season, how cool is that? Not only did Pools get seven hundred, but then he ends up like seven hundred three. Oh, he's locked in. I mean, I'm looking forward to watching him in the postseason. He might end up carrying that team to a title. Mm-hmm. I think it's a couple things, TC. Um, first, the familiarity. So he's super comfortable, right, going back home to St. Louis. Um, you look at the back of the baseball card, and the numbers he put up in St. Louis, you know, they go down against anybody in the all-time great of the game. And then number two, you, the people – kind of overlook it because there's so much interleague play, but switching leagues is not easy. I didn't realize that until I did it myself. Um, when I went over to Baltimore and got in the American League, I was like, whoa, this is like a different game. I was facing pitches I'd never heard of. They pitch totally different. So I think being back in the National League and then obviously being back home. And then, you know, him knowing this was his last year and really wasn't a finish out strong, he's just kind of Elaborate a little bit on that about changing leagues like that. Is, is it purely just the familiarity that you have with those pitchers, or it, it, was it a just a different style of, of pitching for uh, that you were facing? It was a totally different style. Um, you know, I, I, I realized this is a long time ago, obviously, but you know, in the National League, two zero guys were challenging you. They didn't like to walk you. In the American League, guys with 2-0 didn't matter. They're still kind of how they how it is now. 2-0, you can get anything. You know, they're not afraid to walk you. And it was the same guys. They were the stuff. I had never seen them. Different ballparks, different clubhouses. clubhouses. Um, just, you know, just never fully felt comfortable. Um, so I think coming back to the National League for Albert, even though he was over in the American League for a long time, it, you know, it's just kind of where he started, where he had a, a ton of success. So I think that probably helped him coming back home to St. Louis. Do you think that that still applies with so much interleague play now and so many pitchers that are crossing over, you know, whether it's free agency or trades, whatever, American League, National League, is, is that still apply or is, is the pitching and everything pretty much the same now, especially that both leagues have the DH? Yeah, it probably doesn't apply as much because, like you said, there is so much interleague play. But I still think there's something about being comfortable. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, I looked on the schedule and saw Albert was uh, Albert's my favorite player, by the way. So I'm totally locked in on this chase. But I saw they were p- playing Pittsburgh <laughs> these last few games. And I said, okay, if he doesn't have it by then, I guarantee you he's going to get it in Pittsburgh because he's just always lit him up. Yeah. And as a hitter, you know that. So when you step in the box in that situation, you just feel good. You know, you, you remember the success, success you've had and, you know, just confidence level rises. Mm-hmm. Derek Lee joins us. Uh, great hitter, of course, uh, back in the day. 
talking playoffs, talking home runs here. And, of course, last night, history in the American League as Aaron Judge, he was stuck on 61 for basically a week, but that uh, all changed last night. Here's the 1-1. Swung on. There it goes. Deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Number 62 to set the new American League record. Aaron Judge hits his 62nd. All the Yankees out of the dugout to greet him. Just think of it. Three Yankee right fielders. The Babe hitting 60 and 27. The Jolly Roger hitting 61 and 61. And now Aaron Judge hits his 62nd home run. The most home runs any American leaguer has hit in a single season. And the American League has been alive for 120 years. This is Judgment Day. Case closed. <laughs> there it is, John Sterling, uh, one of the best, uh, calling Aaron Judge's 62 home runs. And you just wonder, okay, how much of that was pre-planned uh, with, with him? But uh, he is, he's one of the, the best and did a great job on that call. Derek, did you actually see it happen live last night? I did not. I was on the road, but I, I tuned in as soon as I, you know, got to the hotel and saw the highlight. And, you know, I don't know Aaron Judge, but he just seems like a class guy and uh, super happy for him. Yeah, I was going to ask you your thoughts on him. You know, when you when you look at Aaron Judge, I mean, you guys are kind of built the same way. I mean, you know, he might be a, maybe a couple inches taller than you. When you were like 6'5", but you guys had that same frame, you know, big right-handed power hitters like that. So when you, when you see Judge, do you see a little of yourself in him or vice versa, I, I should I do. say? Yeah. I, I do. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is, especially these last couple of weeks I've been hearing, you know, oh, he's struggling to get the, you know, to get the last couple home runs. Like, it's just so easy to <laughs> go hit one out. But – you know, when you're that when you're that big, people expect you to hit home run every at bat. So you have to you have to really kind of fight yourself and you know be a good hitter first and let the home runs happen. And I think that's when he's just really figuring out he's hitting three ten or whatever it is <laughs> with sixty two. I mean, it's just a joke. But he looks so relaxed at the plate. He's spinning the ball, letting it travel, hitting it all over. And as a big guy, that's hard, very hard to do. Um, you know, we got a lot of moving pieces <laughs> going on. He's obviously got long arms, big, huge strike zone, but it seems like he gets better every year, and it's fun to watch. You know, in the comparisons, you know, with you guys, uh, you, you you both have the same type of demeanor, too. It just seems that, that calm, cool, collective, you know, never too high, never too low. And, you know, that's the way I thought of you, you know, as a player. And you see a lot of that in Judge, too. And, of course, you know, the, the pressure mounts. I mean, he's playing in New York City. Now, sure, the Yankees have had a great season. You know they're going to the postseason. Could be going far. But, again, you know, chasing, you know, a record like that, it just says a lot uh, about Judge. I mean, talk a little bit about the mental aspect of that. I mean, you know, you've gone yourself with some big-time, you know, home run seasons. Talk a little bit about the, the mental aspect and, and the pressure like you said, because, hey, you're a big guy. You're supposed to be yanking out 40, 45 a year. Yeah. That's, you know, I almost asked myself, I wonder, did he enjoy these last two weeks? Because, the, you know, all when he got a base hit, people were almost booing him. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, you know, home runs are a thing that just happens. You don't go up there trying to hit home runs. Um, 
so I think that's the hardest part of it. And he, he just seems like such a good guy and a great teammate. He just wants to win. So he's going to be happy taking his walk or taking his base hit to right. You know, it's not just going up there trying to eat you know, the ballpark every time. So I think that's probably the hard part of the last two weeks for him. And I'm sure he's probably glad focus is not on him and just hitting the ball, the ballpark. But, I mean, what a season. It's going to, it's got to be what, top five, top 10 all time offensive seasons. Um, and, I, and I can see him repeating it. He's, he's that good. You know, we talk about your build, your demeanor is kind of similar. Do you, do you consider you and Judge to have a similar type of swing or break, break down his swing? Um, I, I, his swing, I'll take his swing over mine. He, you know, I was never a home run hitter until later. Right. Um, I had to kind of really learn to loft the ball. It didn't come naturally to me. He naturally gets great loft on the ball. And obviously as strong as he is, if he gets it in there, it's, most of the time it's gone. So he gets great separation. He gets, gets going super early, sees the ball a long time, and, you know, he's able to get it up in the air and it goes. I, w- I was more of a line drive hitter coming up and um, kind of had to teach myself to get the ball in the air a little more. Not that I was trying to get the ball in the air, but, you know, just get a little more extension, drive through it, more line drives, higher line drives, I guess. You know, we talk about 62 home runs, uh, an, an incredible feat, and he breaks Roger Maris's record for the American League. Obviously, you played in that era. You played – your teammate was Sammy Sosa. Everyone remembers 98 with the – the home uh, the home run chase with you know McGuire and Sosa and of course then there's Barry Bonds heck let's throw our our boy Greg Vaughn who also had a great year hit 50 in that 98 season as well too right but talk a little bit about you know viewing the ultimate all-time home run king it is Barry Bonds right now but you know for you because you played with and against those guys who do you view as is the greatest home run hitter of all time well, for me, that's not even a question. The best player I ever stepped on the field with is Barry Bonds. I mean, he was, uh, you know, there's big leaguers, there's stars, and then there's Barry Bonds. He was just head and shoulders better than everyone else. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, even before the steroids, he was the best. So it's unfortunate that, you know, now he made that mistake and has to live with that. But it wasn't even close how good he was as a hitter. He's so smart. Patient. When he got, I mean, he get one pitch a game and hit a homer with it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it was just it was just fun to watch. It's kind of hard to believe how good he was. Derek Lee uh, joins us. Uh, Derek is going to be in Sacramento this weekend, along with myself. Is going to be involved in the Negro League Museum game, and there's going to be a meet and greet on Saturday, and then Sunday, uh, it's going to be a fundraiser for the Negro League Museum. Uh, Bob Kendrick is going to be there uh, with the Negro League Museum. Dave Stewart's going to be there. Some other dignitaries as, as well, too. And what's pretty cool here, D, is that, you know, we know that Sacramento has such a great history of, of baseball players. Uh, you're a family guy. And, uh, you know, you had, of course, your dad play, Leon, your uncle, Leron, and uh, Jerry Royster. Another one of our good friends, he is going to, um, you know, be involved in this game as well too. And we have 
family team Royster against family team Lee and is pretty cool. And they're going to be taking basically prospects and in, in the high school kids in the Sacramento area, the Bay area, and they're going to dress them up in Negro league uniforms. I believe we're going to have what the Chicago Americans taking on the grays and you're going to be in one dugout. Jerry Royster is going to be in the other dugout. You guys are going to basically be the honorary captains, managers, coaches here. I think it's very, very cool. Talk a little bit about how you got involved with this and what do you expect to happen in Sunday's game? Well, first of all, I mean, it's just a great deal, right? I mean, benefiting the Negro League Museum, giving um, African-American kids a chance to go out in the field and showcase their abilities, um, getting the local guys together. For, you know, like you said, the families, Royster and the Lees, we've known each other forever. I played for Jerry Royster. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. So just a good deal all around. I'm so happy this um, came about. I think this is the third year, second or third year. Yeah, um, second year. Yeah. But I, I, you know, my dad asked me to come on board. Obviously, it's a no-brainer. He's been involved every year on it. Yep. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting up there and being in the, actually be the first time been in the dugout together coaching. So that'll be pretty cool. Wow. My daughter's going to sing the national anthem. Uh, my son, I'm going to try to get my son in the bat. He's only 13, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> but, but but here's what I heard. I heard that he's only 13, but he's already like 6'4", 6'5", and the guy's got some mad skill, just like Pops. Oh, my God. Just like Dude, Grandpa. It's already getting, it's already getting exaggerated. <laughs> I'm, just tell you, maybe, I'm just telling you what Jerry told me. He is, he is wearing my shoes. He's, he's wearing a 14 already, which <laughs> it's, it's hard to believe, he's, but – you know, we'll see. He, he, he's enjoying the game, and that's the that's the biggest part of it. I don't know, man. It just seems strange that you got a 13 year old now that he's an athlete does not surprise me uh, at all. But let, let's let's hear about Junior here, man. I, I want to hear what his game's like. You know, he. So first of all, he's. Um, I just got him into the travel ball thing last year, so he hasn't played a ton of baseball. I don't let him go year round, mm-hmm. but you know, he's a lease. <laughs> right. He has, he has some skills on him, TC. I can't deny him. I have to try to keep him humble, but, you know, he's a big kid, so he's still filling into his body. But he has a great arm. Uh, he He's strong, so he has some power. Um, but he still has a lot to learn, as all 13-year-olds do, obviously. So let me ask you, I, I find this fascinating, because, you know, when you have uh, a child and you're a former major leaguer, especially one like yourself that was so successful – what is the approach? Because as you know, just like I do, that you know, you have some parents that will just, you know, are trying to live out their own dreams. You'll have other parents that kind of like, okay, I want somebody else to to coach my kid and teach my kid because you know, may, maybe a different voice, a respected voice, is, will will have a different impact than just you know, dad. You know, here's dad talking to me. What approach do you take with your son as far as coaching him up? Yeah, I, I probably try to take the approach my dad took with me is um, just enjoy it, you know, just have fun. I try to stay away from too many mechanics. I want him to develop as an athlete first because okay. you can always teach the mechanics, you know. Obviously, you give them the basics. but um, you want, And also, you want to see them fail sometimes. I, I think failure is good for, you know, um, all the holding kids back and trying to you know, hide them from failure. Um, I, I just don't d- agree with that. But the biggest thing for me is, you know, I want to see him out there enjoying it, having fun. 
Um, and, you know, I, I don't push it on him at all. Um, matter of fact, I hold him back. He wants to be out there year-round, but I just I feel like he needs to do other stuff and be a kid for a while. Now, do you have him play in other sports as well? I mean, you were great at basketball and, and anything that you touched, but but then you did kind of focus in on baseball, you know, pretty much kind of, you know, when you got to high school. What What is, uh, what is his other sports? Yeah, so he, he played a little basketball. I'm trying to get him back to basketball, but he's not really doing any um, – organized sports he you know we play around or he plays with his buddies basketball but baseball is his sport he loves it um i'm just right now not letting him go year around with it yeah i understand man well hey looking forward to to seeing him getting that bat this weekend and uh you know hopefully he continues on with uh, some some great success and following in the lee family footsteps uh we got you got some he's got some great ones to fill there but i don't think it's going to be a problem <laughs> you got a long way to go. We'll see. Yeah. But it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be fun out there. It'll be good to see you, TC. Good, be good to see you too, Derek. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate the time as always. And hopefully we'll connect uh, again and we can talk some more baseball, uh, you know, during the postseason. And uh, really looking forward so who, to seeing who, you. Who, who, who you got? Who you picking? You know who I got, man. I got our, I got the Astros, you know. And uh, it's funny because, you know, as you know, I mean, living here in Vegas, you know, we're always uh, wagering on things. I, I got a futures ticket on the Astros. I had one last year as well, but before the season started at 12 to one for them to win the world series. And Derek, I, I, man, I feel good about this team. I mean, I, I got a chance I, I feel to really good about this. Man. I think this is his year. I do I think this is his year. Yep. I really do. And I got a chance to, you know, spend some time with him this year back there. And I'm going back again for the, uh, hopefully they do make it to the LCS. I, I, you know, I, I said, Hey, just like last year, I said, okay, I think you got, you'll get by the, the division series. So I'll catch up with you for the league championship series and the world series. So I got a chance to go back there for that last year. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I thought they might, you know, last year might be the year, but now with Verlander back and everything, they're healthy and I'm with you, man. You, yeah. you, know, you know how things are when you just you kind of just feel it, like things are falling into place, and then you've got you know it's it's your time, and this this is Dusty's time. And I don't, if he doesn't win it this year, man, I I don't know uh, something's wrong because everything is lined up. He's got a great team, he's got great chemistry, and they're playing ball right now. You know, 106 wins uh, this season. Now I, I I like him, and I'm rooting him on. You know, just like you are. Yeah, and and, and either way, put that man in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think that's already been determined. Done deal. Especially yeah. now, these over two thousand wins as a manager yeah. as well, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, brother. Hey, appreciate you. Looking forward to seeing you. And thanks for the time, man. And uh, and be well. And, and say hello to the family for me. Okay, sounds good. Talk to you. There you got it. There he is, Derek Lee, one of my all-time favorites, and of course, uh, one of our members in the Sacramento Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, his dad, fantastic player, Leon Lee. His uncle, Leron Lee, is basically um, Japan League uh, legends. No question about that. And both uh, Leron and Leon played there. But Derek, uh, again, goes, goes back to when I was coaching him when he was a, a youngster. And he was a great basketball player as well, too. And I remember him coming to try out for my travel team, our AU travel team. It was one of the first back in Sacramento. And I really wanted this kid to play for me in eighth grade. And his dad says, hey, I appreciate you wanting him on the team and everything. And he came out. He worked out a couple practices. He goes, but we're going to stick to baseball. I said, I don't know, man. I said, this kid's a heck of a basketball player. Eh, I think it worked out for him playing baseball. (laughs) No doubt. But he's just one of those multi-sport athletes. 
and will not surprise me at all that his kid, uh, you know, does the exact same thing. And again, uh, when you're a Lee, like he said, you got some baseball greatness uh, in those genes. So uh, hopefully, uh, his uh, his child, his son, uh, you know, has a long career as well too. Always great talking to D Lee. Uh, whether again, you're you're a baseball fan, uh, but you know his years with the Cubs uh, were downright uh, fantastic. But just a quality, all around great guy. We come back. Sam Gordon is going to join us. We'll talk a little Raiders and Moa. The T.C. Martin Show. There's only one thing we know for sure. The Giants of New York took on the Packers of Green Bay. The Dr. T.C. Martin. He was a most ripping victory by kicking an oblong ball made of pigskin to a big H. The Doctor is now in. Great stuff with Derek Lee, Chris Bosio today, Trevor Match as well, all up on the website a little bit later on. That is at tcmartinshow.com. Check it all out. Some of the great interviews that are up there. And go check out the current interview page, the classic interview page, and check out our conversation from yesterday with Rod Smith. Fantastic. Talk about the, the passion just oozing there. And that's what you get with these interviews uh, all there as well, too. And Steve Sachs as well, too. So hitting baseball, hitting football, hitting everything. But uh, the interview from yesterday with Steve Sachs up there on the website as well, too, tcmartinshow.com. Don't forget to join us. Also, the Westgate of Las Vegas, the world-famous Superbook, each and every Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Come on by. See the show live. Enjoy the comfortability of the sports book, the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. All right. Let's round it out today and talk to our good friend Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Hanging out there at the Raiders facility there in in Henderson. Sam just wrapping up, talking to number 17, Devontae Adams. Derek Carr also spoke today. Raiders just concluded practice as they get ready for their game against the Kansas City Chiefs to get ready to hit the road. Sam Gordon joins us now. Sam the man, what's up? Uh, DC, how you doing, man? I uh, appreciate you having me on the program. Happy Wednesday. We're, we're, uh, it's hump day. It's a beautiful one out here in the Las Vegas Valley. I appreciate you having me back. You got it, man. You got it. All right. So, uh, so, uh, tell us what you got there, you know, talking to Tay Tay. What's up with him? All business, uh, TC, all business. I think the Raiders understand right coming off of, uh, the victory over the Denver Broncos on Sunday, the opportunity they have on Monday night football, right. To go into the bye week. Uh, if they handle business, uh, if they're able to go in Arrowhead Stadium, we know that's a tall task. We understand uh, the difficulty and the challenge that comes with that, but we also understand that if they are able to take care of business on Sunday or Monday night going into the bye, your two, two and three is a lot different than one and four, and you're only a game out of the division um, as opposed to three games back. So that is the reality that the Raiders are facing. That is uh, the mentality that Devontae Adams and pretty much all of his teammates have uh, ahead of the matchup on Monday night, and uh, that was the tenor all day of practice. So uh, it's all business, uh, all focus, and uh, that's what, uh, the, again, the Raiders know what's at stake. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Again, their, their work cut out for them because uh, we saw what Kansas City did that Tampa Bay defense. That Tampa Bay defense, perhaps the best in the league. Kansas City hangs 40 on them, so the Raiders are going to have to be at their best to take down Patrick Mahomes and company on Monday night. You know, we've seen Devontae really kind of be um, – 
I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for here, Sam, is. He can kind of maybe fill in the blank, but uh, maybe concerned a little bit. And again, maybe a little short with the media after those losses. This is a guy that I've talked about. He's not used to losing. And no. when, he, when he came here, he viewed this as, you know, not, hey, I'm not coming to Vegas because it's Vegas, just because it's closer to my family, you know, in Central California. No, he goes, I'm, I'm coming here because I believe this franchise is on an upswing here. I get to be reunited with Derek Carr, that's fine and dandy. But the bottom line is, I you know I, I'm I'm used to going deep into playoffs. I'm I'm used to going to championship games here. And you can see he wasn't happy with zero and three. How was his demeanor today? Since the Raiders finally got a victory, and he was probably the most part of the offense that we've seen of the first four games in last Sunday's victory against Denver. Well, he, you know, to, to that last point there, TC, I thought there was definitely, of course, there was a concerted effort to run the ball and to 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 wear out the Denver defense with the running game, right? But at, but at that same, you know, when when the passing offense was utilized or relied upon, of course, he was, you know, option number one, right? I think 11, 10 or eleven catches over a hundred yards again for the second time um, this season. So they, they, it feels like it's again, it's a feeling out process. He was used to playing with Aaron Rodgers for so many years. They played together for what nine, ten years over there in Green Bay. So there's still a, a process. It feels like they're still working out the kinks, but they're getting closer. Um, as far as his demeanor today, you know, totally, again, business-like focus. Yeah, you know, conversational, uh, perhaps a little more so because, you know, they are no, they're no longer uh, the only uh, 0-3 team in the league. Uh, but he's locked in. Again, this is a, a huge opportunity uh, for the Raiders to really kind of shape the season they want to have after the 0-3 start. Uh, and it's on Monday Night Football. So there's definitely, I think, a little added edge knowing that that's the case, and then you know, going into Arrowhead Stadium as well, uh, one of the most hostile environments uh, in the league and, and a place where you know, road teams, are you, you come away if you're able to win. I mean, we remember what happened to T.C. the last time the Raiders won uh, at Arrowhead. They take a lap around the bus, and that still hasn't gone over well in Kansas City. But that just kind of goes to show you how hard it is to win there and how exciting it is uh, when, you, when, when teams are able to win there. So he was all business. Um, everybody on the Raiders is all business. And, uh, you know, I, I, you expect the same thing from Kansas City because uh, they – it still doesn't feel like they have that taste out of their mouths just kind of seeing some of the stuff floating around social media and some of the commentary about how the Raiders stomped all over their logo last year before the game and then the bus ride before. So this is a testy rivalry. It's the AFC West. Um, maybe not quite the wild, wild West that we thought it was going to be before the season started with, you know, the Raiders and Denver and even the Chargers – uh, still working out some kinks, but uh, it's a primetime matchup. It's a huge game, and, and everybody's locked in with the task at hand. Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, and we talk about the Raiders and the Chiefs. Forty-eight to nine last year, Sam, and you remember that the Chiefs remembered that bus ride around with John Gruden Company the year before that. Forty-eight nine. That was a downright beatdown. It was a shellacking last year. Uh, I know it was towards the end of the season, but you know uh, the Raiders were fighting for a playoff spot at that point in time, and Kansas City was having none of it. No, they certainly weren't, and um, it's you know it's different teams, it's different personnel. Uh, Tyreek Hill's not in Kansas City anymore, and I think their offense is still trying to find it. It's been very effective, of course. Patrick Mahomes has adjusted, and, and they're, they're figuring things out. They look like you know the, the first or second best team in the league, depending on how you know who you want to argue for, um, whether it's Buffalo or whoever else. But it's a very different. Kansas City team so it's also a different Raider team uh, different coach different style of play different a lot of different personnel on both sides and and with that being said uh, you know expecting a very different matchup um, I, I don't I don't think that's going to be the case I don't I don't I don't see a one-sided uh, beatdown like that happening now of course it's the NFL 
Uh, you never know, but I, there was definitely some extra in, incentive last year uh, for, for the Chiefs based on what happened in 2020, the way the Raiders acted in victory after winning at Arrowhead Stadium, to send an extra message. And, and they were scoring into the fourth quarter, DC, as you remember. They were scoring in the second half and, and content to run it up. I'm not sure we're going to necessarily you know, see that wide of a margin, um, but you never know. So it, it's a fascinating matchup for a number of reasons. The Chiefs can really – um, kind of stake their claim at, 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 at you know thir- at the maybe the one third mark through the season. Uh, if they're if they're four and one, that's a, that's a nice place to be. And for the Raiders, if they win, you know go two and three, you you kind of savor uh, the first part of the schedule despite the own three start. So stakes are massive, um, and and we'll, we'll again we'll find out uh, how these two teams look and how they match up the new look versions of these respective teams uh, in a few days. You're right. If they can't pull this upset off, I mean, the huge difference, two and three, and then you go into a part of the schedule where you got some winnable games, but then, you know, you start off one and four, uh, still pretty ugly, you know, after five weeks. Let me ask you, what was your biggest takeaway from the game on Sunday, the victory against the Broncos? Well, they, they, they finally, TC, the Raiders played a full game. I mean, they played full four, four full quarters, um, and, and they were able to finish. I think that was the biggest thing. They, they hadn't been able to finish games uh, with execution, with, with precise execution. Denver, of course, scores that touchdown you know, early in the fourth quarter to make it a, you know, to, to cut the margin or the deficit to two or three points. I can't remember the exact number. But after that, the Raiders court, uncorked a 10-play, 75-yard drive, seven called runs. Uh, of course, a second 13, you know, completion from Derek Carr to Devontae Adams that goes for 17 yards, the big pass play, and were able really to, to assert their will uh, down the stretch against a team in Denver that was, you know, top three defense up to that point. So being able to finish a game, being able to, to, to execute a game plan, and being able to, to execute it well enough to stick with it. They didn't have to abandon the run. They didn't have to dump what they were doing. Uh, they played complimentary football, you know, in all three in all three phases for the most part, um, save for some poor special teams execution early. You get the big special teams play late from Matt Collins. You get, you know, a clean game from the offense, not turning the football over, and, of course, the defense making a play. So they were able to play a full game. They hadn't done that. Um, we, I think we've seen the Raiders play stretches of good football uh, in all three games that they had lost, but not – not long enough. You, you know, you can't just play a quarter in the NFL and expect to, to have success on a comp- consistent basis. Maybe you can get away with it once in a while, right, if, if, if things are really working. Uh, but, but it's not – you can't live by that. So that was, the, you know, the, the thing for me that popped is how well they were able to, to, to finish and how steady they were able to stick with their game plan throughout the course of the game. But, you know, Monday presents a completely different challenge. I think the Raiders kind of knew – um, going into the Denver game, that Denver's offense, is, you know, doesn't have a lot of firepower right now. They're still working to figure things out with Russell Wilson, and who knows if they're going to get things figured out because as good as they looked in the first half, you know, they, they gained seven yards in the third quarter against the Raiders' defense. So the, the Chiefs are going to pressure the Raiders in a lot of different ways, uh, and maybe the Raiders are going to be forced to adapt and adjust in a way that they didn't have to on Sunday. But because they played so well, you didn't have to adjust, and lo and behold, the first victory of the season. You know, from the Denver standpoint, it still seems a little strange seeing Russell Wilson quarterbacking this team here. And no doubt. It's, it's very strange. Now, you get a quick turnaround if you're the Broncos, and you, you're, luckily you're playing at home, but you're playing Thursday night. You know, in this yeah. in the in this game against the Indianapolis Colts, who now do not have Jonathan Taylor, seems like a pretty good spot for the Broncos. But 
how do you what do you make of this Broncos team, Sam? Because they still seem they're like they're void of scoring. And from the defensive side, it's like, okay, you know, we heard all about this defense, but let's be honest. The you know, Carr didn't have great numbers, but the running numbers with Josh Jacobs, 144 yards was fantastic. The Raiders pretty much moved the ball at will against this Broncos defense, and, and that kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, seven to fourteen on third downs too, TC. Yep. I mean fifty percent third down completion, third down conversion. You'll live with that all day in the NFL um, at this level. I, I do think, um, despite what we saw from Denver's defense towards the end of the game on Sunday, I, I think that was more of a byproduct of, of just you know not having the ball, not being able to, to sustain and to put together drives. And, of course, the Raiders finally finding a, a formula that worked. I'm not, I'm not so much concerned about their defense. I think that'll probably be, you know, top three might be a stretch, you know, for, for the rest of the season. But I think that there's personnel – um, on that defense that can make them a top 10 unit. I, I, I would say I, if I'm, I'm still concerned about their offense. If I'm a Broncos fan, um, how could you like what you've seen so far? You, you, you put together what, maybe five or six good drives, real good drives um, all season, far too many three and outs, um, not, you know, not a great offensive line. The Raiders, Max Crosby was dominant in that third quarter um, the other day, and, and really they had no answer for him. And, and because, you know, Russell Wilson's still a great pocket passer, but because he's not, you know, he's almost he's gonna be thirty four in a couple months. He's not twenty four anymore. It's harder to move and, and evade pressure the way he once did. So it's it's in a complete it's a completely different rhythm than, than he was used to um in Seattle. They don't have Tim Patrick who's a you know a bona fide uh you know legit number two ish kind of receiver in this league and then you just lose Javante Williams with a dev, you know devastating knee injury. You don't have your number one running back. So offensively I'm not sure they're going to get it figured out. We, we've maybe you play well again. We saw him play well for a couple quarters the other day, but just like with the Raiders, a couple quarters isn't enough. They they don't have Russell Wilson didn't change life the way that they thought he would. Um, he's still, of course, an upgrade over what they had. I think there's still enough there to compete for a uh, a playoff berth in the AFC. Uh, but this idea that Denver was going to be a Super Bowl contender uh, and to be the case so far. So I, I haven't seen anything that would make me think that's going to change. Uh, but, the, you know, the NFL, you never know. Maybe things do. The offense leaves a lot to be desired, uh, just stable and predictable. And then from a coaching standpoint, uh, first-year coach in, in Nathaniel Hackett, who's already um, seen in, in over his head a few times yeah. early, early this season. So is he the guy that's going to get this offense figured out? I'm not sure he is. And in rounding out the rest of the division, we saw the Chargers with a nice bounce-back victory last week. But, yeah, I just feel that, you're going to see not just teams in this division, but you're going to see teams go through their ebbs and flows. They're going to go in some hot sure. streaks and some. Low. You're going to see that, especially over a 17 game schedule. And it just it seems like you know fans get so wrapped up in the last thing that they saw, and they think, okay, that's going to happen. You know, not only next game, but the game after and the game after that. And again, you know, the Raiders are going to be a work in progress. Anytime that you have a, a new coaching staff, it, it's going to take some time. And, and and the Raiders could be okay if they you know, get healthy again as well, too. You know, you got a lot of question marks, uh, you know, Hunter Renfro. Okay, he's supposed to play, be back. I know he's at practice, I guess, today. And then, you know, yep. Chandler Jones. Today. Chandler Jones is healthy, yep. but we haven't seen the best of Chandler Jones. So a lot of people say, what's that all about? But back to the Chargers, though, Sam. Uh, you know, I think this team is also kind of maybe – um, not getting much love right now, and people are, are, are seeing the way they started the season. They're not thinking much of the Chargers. Like you mentioned, Nathaniel Hackett over with uh, the Broncos. You know, they, they have coaching issues there with the Chargers as well, too. Sure. But, but um, you know, Justin Herbert is going to get healthy slowly but surely, yeah. and he will be a force. Give me your take about the Chargers and the rest of the division. 
Well, from a talent standpoint, I think they're as good as any team maybe in the NFL. I mean, you have blue chip, uh, blue chip players all over the field. You have the quarterback, you have the receiver uh, in the backfield with Austin Eckler. You have Khalil Mack. You have J.C. Jackson. Uh, Joey Bosa, they're just decimated by injuries. I mean, a number of their key defenders are already banged up with injuries that have caused them to miss, you know, a number of games so far um, this season. And that, I think, you know, I think so far outside of the Jaguars game, um, they've, they've been pretty much what we've expected. There's nothing wrong with losing to Kansas City, uh, and they're 2-2. Two and two. So it's, 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 I don't know if, like you said, I mean, there's just been a lot of parity this year, uh, a lot of, kind of surprising results. I mean, Buffalo going down and losing to Miami, the, the, the Chiefs losing to the Colts. Like, any given Sunday, you never know. But from a talent standpoint, uh, I, I think the Chargers have as much as any team in the, in the AFC. And I still expect that. I, I definitely expect them to be a, a contender um, in the division moving forward. Now, does that mean they're going to win the division? I don't know. But anything short of a playoff berth uh, for this team would be a massive disappointment. Uh, given that you have a, a Justin Herbert still on his rookie contract, you know, coming up due for an extension here pretty soon, you want to maximize that window. So if they don't make the playoffs, it's an, it's, it would be nothing short of a total abject disaster and failure. Uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. Even at 2-2, two and two, I think they're still far too good, uh, far too much talent. Even with some of their coaching issues, they still have a quarterback uh, that can transcend some of that stuff. So we'll see if he's going to do it. But, again, if they don't make the playoffs, uh, I would expect there's some some significant changes uh, in L.A. with given how talented the roster is. Yeah, Sam Gordon joins us from the Las Vegas Review Journal, talking a little Raiders, a little NFL. Uh, Sam, turn the page a little bit, and we'll talk about UNLV for a minute. Uh, the Rebels been playing some pretty good football. I still don't feel they've been totally tested yet. Uh, they've uh, beat some some teams, some undermanned teams, and we saw that with New Mexico uh, the other night. But UNLV is going to get a couple tests here coming up. You're, they're going to get uh, San Jose State on the road, which could be could would be could be tough. And then next week they got Air Force, and then you know then they got to go to Notre Dame uh, as well too. So quick thoughts on on the Rebels at four and one right now. Yeah, I mean, um, super impressed. How could you not be? Um, they're they're playing who's been on the schedule. And from a just kind of physical standpoint, TC, uh, this is a roster that you can see that Marcus Arroyo upgraded through recruiting. That not just not just with high school players and, and developing them through their speed and strength programs, but there's a number of impact transfers from Power Five programs, and the Rebels feel um, it's noticeable, right? Their, their defense is fast and physical. Their offense has a rhythm and sync to it. They they have a, a dual threat quarterback, one of the who's playing like one of the best um, in the country right now, and Doug Brumfield. Doug Brumfield pushing the ball down the field to, to, to receivers like Ricky White and Kyle Williams. Uh, you have Aiden Robbins, the Louisville transfer, who's, what, 6'1", 230. I mean, when, when he carries the ball 20, 25 times, that's going to wear. That's going to have a wearing effect on opposing defenses. And then you can get into play action with Brumfield. He's, you know, he's I think, finding that right balance of, of run and pass uh, and has been such a, so effective down there um, in the red zone with his legs. Uh, and then, again, defensively, just playmakers at all three levels, an effective pass rush, you know, linebackers that can get after the quarterback and, and that can cover. And then, you know, a, sec- you know, a secondary where maybe a little bit of inconsistency early, but starting to find a rhythm and starting to find some consistency, creating takeaways. I think all three levels of the defense working together, playing with synergy, um, and making this unit a, a much vastly improved unit compared to what we've seen through, through the first couple of years. So it took a little bit of time. Uh, it took, I mean, 2020, 2021, those were lean years. Those are, there's no doubt about it. But at 4-1, and one, um, I think you know, Rebels fans have to be encouraged by, by what they're seeing. This is something that they haven't seen. It's a historically great start. 
um, for the program. So now it's about sustaining um, to, to that point. The Mountain West schedule continues. It rolls along, and there's no stopping. And then, of course, the trip to South Bend. So uh, really impressed with the Rebels. Um, you, I think you're starting to see a little, little bit more fan interest, which, of course, is, is, is good for the, the UNLV community and the local community uh, as a whole and, and really um, potentially a historic year for Marcus Arroyo uh, and company. It was just part of the plan. It, it required some patience from fans, and, and lo and behold, he's delivered on, on what he you know set out to do. All right. We'll see. Keep a close eye on the Rebels. All right, Sam. So um, we're at the game on Sunday. We're watching the, the Raiders, and you know we had a, we saw our good friend uh, Brian Salmon, if you remember, old B Sal, and we're having a little conversation, the three of us. And remember, B Sal <laughs> was talking about. Getting in the boxing ring, you know, he's 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 having a little a, a second coming. Uh, I don't know, a rejuvenation from his youth or something like that. And you know, he struck up a little friendship with uh, a guy that we know very well, Wayne uh, Wayne McCullough, the old pocket rocket, former champion himself. And Bisal was sitting there saying that he's getting into shape, he wants to get a fight going, like that sort of thing. And I immediately looked at you and I said, "Wait a minute, now, I mean, I mean, Sammy the Bull, as he calls you, you know, could be, uh, you know, you may you may have my one weight division, but I know." you're a boxing guy we're all three boxing guys but i don't know what do you what do you think what kind of future do you think b sal has uh sam well you know what tc it's funny you bring that up because b sal was here at practice today <laughs> at raiders practice and we were hanging out in between you know the viewing period and then availabilities and we get to talking about the sweet science of course and, and then we get to talking about his work and his training and, and lo and behold again pulls out a couple videos and shows me the progress that he's made uh, just through his sparring sessions over the last few weeks. So the jab looks sharp. Uh, the right hand is heavy coming behind it. And, and, and he, you know, the timing, uh, him throwing it, he's throwing it with more pop. He's throwing it with more confidence. And he looks, um, you know, with, with the, the progress he's made over the last few weeks, looks like he's improving as a fighter. So uh, we, we were, we were kind of joking around about if we, if, if we were actually boxers, what weight classes we would both be in. He, I think he's more of a, you know, 154 pounder where I think I'd be 168 or 175. Uh, maybe there's a catch weight we can come down right. to, you know, at some point, but, but I gotta, I gotta catch up. He, he's ahead of me. He's a better, you know, he's a, he, he's been in the gym. He's been working. He, you know, he's training to be a great fighter and, and, and I gotta get started. I gotta get started on my track. Could you uh, take him well, out though, so. Sam? Do you think you could take B cell out? What do you think? I mean, early I, stoppage. I, what do you think? Decision? What? I, Hey, I, 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 a victory by any means necessary. And I know, I know he would say the exact same thing. He's a, not only is he a tremendous colleague, but he's a tremendous competitor. So uh, we'll see if we can get that one made. Oh, I hear the music. That can only be one thing. The one and only B-Sal. He's marching towards the ring right now. Look at it. He's got the ring robe on. B-Sal, what it is. Yo, man, you guys trying to start up my guy Sammy the Bull over here, man. That's funny. Yeah, talk a little boxing. Yo, man, Sam, Sam is way, he's way too solid of a guy to ever get him to say anything negative about somebody, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, man. I thought it was going to get Sam to say, come on, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking him out in four. Are you kidding me? You know, Creed in three, Sammy the Bull in four, you know? He's you want me to get the promotion solid, really man. started. We, we, 
TZ was trying to get the promotion started, B-Sal. That's it, baby. It's only in America, baby. Right here. Dime King, the TC, right here. The Bob Arum, the Hall of Famer. Let's get it cracking. TC, uh, man, thinks he's, he thinks he's Don King. You need a little bit more hair to be Don King. Hey, I, I had it back in the day, King. baby. Don't you forget, I had it back in the day. But you're right. Too funny, man. We, we all had it back in the day, man. including Sam. That's it. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I love our conversations. We're sitting there where we're at games, we're at boxing matches, we're out or on the show. So I just want to have Absolutely. some fun. I just want to have some fun with you guys today. But no, B Sound, credit to you, man, for getting in the ring. Because as we know, man, we all know, because we love boxing, but you guys are like work workout aholics. You got to be in shape to get in the ring just to train, man. Yes, no, you yeah, absolutely I mean, do, dude. man. Sam and I talked about that. I'm sorry, Sam. Yeah. But, you know, we talked about that, man. Going three rounds, going three rounds or three minutes around is absurdly hard to do. Going one round for three minutes is hard to do, man. And me being older than all the guys that I spar with, like, I, I feel like I'm in great shape, man, to be able to even do that. Um, ask Jesse. And he'll tell you the truth, I'm sure, man. Ask him. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> funny. Too funny. All right. Well, uh, maybe one day if we can get B Sal to beef up a little bit, and Sammy, you go on your your keto diet or whatever, we can find a catchweight at one sixty. Hey, we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get that one made. We'll get it made. We want to bring the best fights. We want to bring the best fights to the fans. It's all about the fans. <laughs> do you realize? Yeah. You, you know what kind of what kind of fundraiser uh, we could do with this? It'd be pretty cool, man. I'm telling you. You know. That's what. Don't put it past me to get it going. Don't put it past me to promote it. You know what? You know what? I wouldn't want to fight Sam. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to fight Jesse. No. I would love to. But I would do it with anybody. Anybody in the media? Yeah. Anybody? Anybody in the media? I would do it. I bet. I bet we could. I bet we could pick pick out a member or two of the media that you get pretty fired up for. (laughs) Well, yes, that in particular. But I mean. Still though, man, like people that uh that I'm not as cool with yeah. that I would really want to hit in the face. Yes. Cause you know like I know, if you know boxing, anger, emotion has absolutely nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing absolutely. to do with it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Nothing. So when I'm sparring, nothing. like I don't spar guys that I don't like, but I would love right. that'd be a little bit of added extra energy though. I mean, I'd love to I'd do it to anybody in the media. So, I understand. So Jesse. battle of channel three, who who's winning? You or Jesse? Me easily. Yeah, come on. <laughs> no, I, I, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. And the only reason I say yeah. ask Jesse. I, only reason I say that is because he knows we we train together. We sparred before. There it is. He We're knows not- as far as boxing, I'm better. We'll have we'll have a double header. We'll have uh, the, the the preliminaries uh, again with the, the semifinals will be B Sal and Jesse and Sam and Adam Hill. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would know. Uh, no. I think we know who would win both of those matches. There we go. To, you know, because you know, guys, you have to have the setup. You have to have the setup before the main event. You know what I'm saying? You each have, you got to get you know one bout in your, uh, underneath underneath your belt before the main event. You know. So there you go. Yeah, but I'm not boxing uh, Jesse. No, I'm yeah, I, yeah, oh no. All right, guys. Yeah. I appreciate man. Uh, you guys having some fun with me uh, today. So uh, we'll, absolutely. All right, man. We'll catch you later. We'll let <laughs> you guys both get back to work. Every Yo, day, man. Again, it shows how solid of a guy Sammy is, man. I love it. I love it. Sammy the Bull. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Take care, Sam. <laughs> Appreciate you over at Raiders right, Facility. B Sal over at uh, News 3.
And again, read Sam's stuff in the RJ. And of course, B Sal in News 3. Want to thank Chris Bosio for joining us, Derek Lee as well, Trevor Maddich, Numchuck on the other side of the glass. I was shadow boxing in here. I was popping, I'm locking, I'm grooving, I'm moving. Sit on your hands. Oh, thank you very little. TCMartinShow.com, back at it tomorrow. Oh, yeah. A lot more coming your way tomorrow. Lincoln Kennedy joins us. Scott Spritzer. Steve Berline. Just knocking it out of the park all week long. Football, baseball, it's all happening. TC Martin Show. Hoorah!